Pushkin. Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Welcome to the show. This is Talk Easy. I'm Sam Fragoso, and thank you for being here. This week on the podcast, we have writer, director, actress, Alice Lowe. Those first two descriptions, writer and director, are fairly new terms to describe Lowe. For the better part of the 2000s, Alice has made a name for herself as a dynamic actress. Often working in comedy, you've probably seen the England-born performer in films like Hot Fuzz, The World's End, and Sightseers. There's a dark, sardonic quality to her humor. Absurd, uncomfortable, and yet deeply hilarious. She brings those same qualities to Prevenge, an absurd drama fantasy about a pregnant woman who goes on a murderous rampage. Here's a snippet from the trailer. I'm really sorry about your loss, and I know it's been very difficult for you. At the end of the day, you've got this force of nature now inside you. Baby knows what to do. Baby will tell you what to do. It's just nature's way. I think nature's a bit of an arse, though, don't you? You're getting better at this. I'm not in control. Don't want to know what's in there. I'm scared of her. I would swap her to have him back. She can't hear you. Lowe served as the writer-director and lead actress on the project. It is her take on pregnancy and all its expectations and peculiarities. Not to mention, she herself was seven months pregnant on the set of Prevenge. Some incoming mothers like to take it easy in the lead-up to childbirth, 
Alice made a movie. We discussed the challenges of that particular situation in this episode, along with her place in contemporary movies as a 39-year-old woman, and a lot more. Every now and then you'll hear Alice's baby in the background. The child got to make its first podcast appearance, which I think was exciting for all of us. So, finally, here is Alice Lowe. You should introduce your child. This before. is the cooings that you can hear in the background is my, my six, uh, nearly 16-month-old daughter. And um, she's just pretending when she cries like that. She's not really upset. She's just, like, want, wanting attention. So is she already performing? Um, well, she does have a bit of a... She knows where the camera is when someone takes a picture of her. She does seem to pose. Um yeah, I think she has got a bit of a, a performer gene, unfortunately. Cause, um, Why yeah. unfortunately? Well, otherwise known as the show-off gene, ah. I think it is. But, um, <laughs> do you have that? She's very entertaining. Yeah, I think I do, definitely, yeah. But she's yeah, she's quite cute. It's, it's lucky because I've had to take her with me on tour just because my partner works full-time in London. And so, you know, I turned up with her on my hip and I have to sort of hope that people tolerate her and me having brought her along and um because she's quite nice and charming people go oh she's all right and I call her a gateway baby because like people that go I don't usually like babies but I think she's all right mm-hmm. and I'm like yeah she's a, a gateway. gateway baby like a gateway drug no no I got it no oh I, I didn't know if that was a reference you had in no America. no I understood gateway drug <laughs> I just had never heard the term before I've just made it up. I that's think why. You're, you and making up terms, you made up the title of this movie. I did, yeah. I made up. Well, I, I, I think some people use the term revenge, but they use it for something else. It's like when you take revenge before someone does something wrong, I think. Mm. Um, but I didn't know anything about that. I just thought pregnancy plus revenge, prevenge, you know. And um, actually, I told the company I wasn't going to call it that because I thought, I was like, oh, it's a crap title. It's too pulpy sounding. But I just couldn't find a replacement right. that meant the same thing. And One of those working titles that became the actual title. Yeah. I mean, titles are really hard. It's like band names and stuff. It's like if you found a bad one, you you can always think of a worse one. It's mm. all, You know, it's almost like I almost kind of thought just it's good to just go for the pulpy, what it says on the tin, and then people almost hopefully come out of curiosity of what what it is and but then, titles are peculiar because sometimes i think about like why the beatles is, is that don't worry <laughs> just okay. ignore her it's fine why the she just likes the beatles that's all she likes the beatles hold your hand. that was really off key <laughs> but she liked it you see it silenced and her when i touch no, you no, i feel happy, happy. Inside. Inside. See, she's got a Beatles hairdo. It's such it's a feeling that my love. I can hide. I can hide. I can hide. That was a really much. good bit of harmonizing there. That was amazing. I think we should form a band. Mm. And we'll call, call it, it the Beatles. We'll <laughs> call it the Prevengers. <laughs> oh, well, I might. so normal to us is it I, it took me ages before i realized that it's the beatles but 
it's like a beat, like as in it was a pun on sort of beatnecks or beat generation or beat with a drum. Right. That occurred to me. They weren't very like actual Beatles. Yeah. I don't know. I just thought they were being perverse, spelling it wrong. Mm. I didn't think that there was any sort of play on the word beat. I, it never occurred to me. I just thought. I just thought it was spelled with an A for no reason. I I didn't I didn't understand its origin at all. No, I think that's what the origin is. I mm. have no idea, to be honest. I mean, can let's talk about your child, which is on your lap. Mm. This kid. Yeah. You were seven months pregnant making this movie. <laughs> yeah. So I, um, I wanted to direct a movie, but um. I had kind of given up on the idea of doing it because it was taking so long to, you know, develop a project. Um, and someone came to me, a director came to me and said, look, there's this company, they've got this financing package together, it's ready to go, it's a no-strings-attached project, um, they really like you, do you want to pitch something to them? And it would be to shoot this year. And I was like, oh, this is exactly what I want to do. But I'm six months pregnant now, and I don't think I can do it. And um, so I actually turned it down, but I was sort of cross. And um, I went away and I just thought, well, look, I should just take this opportunity, the bull by the horns, and just make... Because I was worried about being unemployed and maternity leave, whatever Mm. that means when you're a freelancer. Um, And so I was like, if I made a film for myself as a pregnant person, what would the story be that I would want to tell? And um, so I came up with this like revenge movie for a pregnant woman. And I just kind of put all of the stuff in it that I felt was sort of scary about pregnancy or funny or annoying or anything that I felt was a hypocrisy about Mm. the situation that you feel yourself in. And I like that your basic instinct is uh, my version of pregnancy is a murderous pregnant woman. I know sometimes people say to me, God, you must have had a horrible pregnancy. And I'm like, no, I had a really nice pregnancy. It was fine. I was quite healthy and like had a quite nice time. But yeah, I just felt like, well, especially in my job, I think as an actress in particular, it feels quite menacing to take time off and have a baby. You, you lose control of whatever you feel your identity as a performer has been built up you know that mm. loads of producer friends or actor friends were like don't tell people that you're pregnant you, you won't get any work for five years you know 10 years something like that people just assume you're busy or they think that you know you don't want to come back to work or they think that you've aged 20 years because just because you've had a kid or whatever and um yeah, so it was all that stuff that I was like, oh my God, all of that on top of the sort of existential crisis of like, oh, responsibility, parenthood, all of these things that were quite scary anyway. Well, that's, that was actually my first question I want to ask is mm. um, concurrent to having that existential crisis of childbearing, you made this movie in 11 days. Mm. <laughs> to me, that's kind of like, planning a wedding and having a wedding and having a kid at the same time in like a week Mm. (laughs) you just kind of just did it all and uh my main question how how did did that happen it's funny you you comparing it to a wedding because i often feel that's why i don't want to get married because it's almost like film production it is almost like (laughs) oh pre-production on a film like like a wedding it's very like you're setting a scene and you're acting a role it's like sort of like god that's my work why would i want to do that recreationally does your partner accept that response um i don't know if i th- i think if i wanted to get married he'd just go yep yeah, 
you, you know, like I'd have to drop a hint. I'd have to sort of go, yes, I now approve of marriage and think that would be nice one day if someone proposed to me and then he would get the cue that that's what he's supposed to do and then he right. would just do it. Um, I don't think he's probably bothered one way or another. Um, it's funny <laughs> how those subtle hints are never subtle at all. <laughs> well, I no, they can't be subtle. I mean, I, I'm someone who, when it's my birthday, I send him a list of things that he's supposed to buy me because otherwise, like the first time... You really strip the joy out of Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. Well, it's, it's not. It's joyful for me. I'm getting what I want. But um, the first present he ever bought me was a pair of leather gloves with a black fur trim from eBay. And I just went, why would you buy me these? <laughs> I'm never going to wear them. <laughs> I just thought it's better to be honest early early on. God, I sound like such a cow, but I just, I just no, was I a bit like... No, I want to get back on topic, but I have one question, <laughs> just a sub-question. How did you know they were from eBay? Because he used eBay quite a lot at that time, and I was like, these are very generically cheap from somewhere. And, um, and I, I don't know, they just had the eBay look the ebay look and feel <laughs> they'd been shipped in from china i think basically and i was like mm, <laughs> where are these from i don't ever recall seeing these in a shop since 1987 mm. so anyway but you know he cottoned on quick to to understanding that well like, you know in at the end of the day i'm doing it for his sake because i don't want to waste money on stuff that i'm not going to use of course so you know you're being kind i'm being really kind <laughs> not controlling at all but that's how that i guess that is a bit the director in me i'm like you know i'm i'm set dressing my own house Mm -hmm. with things that i want rather than stuff that i don't want um so are you in control on set like that i mean considering all the variables of a a child (laughs) here the 11 day shoot is Mm. you know significant and it's also your first movie? Yes. I mean, um, you really I'm not... You made it hard for yourself. I gotta <laughs> be honest. Like that's, you really stacked the deck. I did, but I didn't because in a way, a short shoot was going to work for the pregnancy because I didn't know how much energy I was going to have. I didn't know how much continuity there was going to be with the bump. Also, I'd made a lot of short films where it had been one day shoot, maybe for a 10 minute film. So I was like, well, in theory, I should be able to get 10 minutes of a feature film every day in the can. Right. And also, I, those short films, I've made a lot of short films. I did one project with a um, director called Jacqueline Wright where we did a short film a month. And we did a horror and a music video and an animation. And we produced those films. So we literally saw all the nuts and bolts of how everything works. You know, we were bringing the costumes and the set. We, you know, there was no art department or whatever. That was us. So that was, like, really good training, actually, because where, when I was writing the script, I was going well, I'm going to limit costume changes. So my character's going to wear the same outfit all the way through. She's going to have a uniform. Um, so that means we can juggle stuff around in the edit as well. Only when she's making the kills does she have different uniform. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to have long scenes in one location. So we're going to have like 10-minute long scenes with one other actor, like a like a two-hander playlet kind of thing. In theory, if we got like these long scenes, a scene done in a day that was 10 minutes long... Then by the end of eight days or whatever, we had we would have a feature film, because originally we were going to do it in eight days, <laughs> and then we had to do some pickups. So um, yeah, I mean the co- most complex bit, the most ambitious bit was the special effects really of the murders, and um, I hadn't really ever done that in such a short time. 
But we basically sort of got an actuary in every day and we would sort of kill them in the morning and then we'd clean up having got the most difficult bit out of the way and then we'd do all the dialogue stuff in the afternoon and we'd play around with it a little bit more, feeling really relaxed and sort of like, oh, we've, we've got the difficult part now. Um, so there was lots of techniques like that which I, I was building that into the writing as I was writing it. So, you know, to me, I was like, it doesn't seem that difficult to shoot in 11 days. It's just we're going to do it like that. We're going to do it really economically. Um, yeah. <laughs> Every, you know, I've heard you discuss the film and it's in the description you just gave and also in other descriptions you've given to that question about stress and, and how to manage or construct a functional set while having a kid and doing it on a short time frame, you always talk about efficiency and mm. how you do it economically and mm. how you, you're very, you seem very pragmatic about it. I guess I'm interested in the, the emotional aspect of it. Mm. Is there a part of you or a time on set where you're like, my Lord, I can't, <laughs> I, this is so much to, to, to your body on. is changing and you're making your first film. It's, it is, daunting on paper yeah i mean to be honest i i well i'm a believer and this is one of the things with the film is that you you are kind of still who you are even if you're pregnant even if you have a baby i don't think it really changes you that much so i am a pragmatic person that was one of the frustrating things about not being able to make a film is i was like i know i can do this do you know what i'm even so sure i can do this i can do it pregnant i can do it standing on my head this is easy for me double like, down yeah but i mean it, that sounds a bit arrogant or whatever but i was just a bit like i know that i can i can do this and i don't get panicked i don't really like to stress out anyway generally so i was a bit like this is this what i have to this is how far i have to go to prove to you people that i can direct mm. you know and um and I guess that that more than anything was the it was more steely determination like throughout the whole thing rather than kind of oh my god I'm I'm over, overawed by the, uh, you know I can't take it it was more like watch me do this I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna make this happen because I am woman and I am powerful and I you know I just I more felt that way really and like not even not even I just had this certainty that was that was the thing as well about um, playing the role because a lot of people ask me like oh directing and acting oh how do you cope with that and to me uh, you know I'm like the on set is my workplace I've been on filming on film sets and TV sets for 15 years I'm very comfortable it's my element it's just a promotion you know and so when I'm on set I'm happy I feel happy I feel relaxed I know what's going on um, and it was more just me you know I wanted to I knew that whoever played the lead character it had to be this absolute certainty that we were doing the right thing and that it was all going okay because it's such a weird character and it's such a weird film there's lots of different tones and lots of gear shifts and lots of stuff that I felt the audience would be quite like unused to <laughs> um, and so I kind of felt like whoever helms this they have to be like yep I know exactly what I'm doing come with me come with me and that was for acting and for directing so even if everyone was going what's going on oh my god she's pregnant oh what i had to be like yeah so what did anyone on set not only doubt you but like question your authority 
Um, I would say actually people were really nice to me and um, that was definitely because of the pregnancy and that was really useful. I was going to ask that, but I didn't want to suggest <laughs> such a thing. No, but it's funny because afterwards I was like, the shoot just was so pleasurable. It was so easy. Everything just went so smoothly. I got everything I wanted and it was really great and no one disagreed with me. And, um, you know, it just went so well. It was so easy. And the producers were like, well, well, no, some things did go wrong. We just didn't tell you. And I was like, great. Please do that every time I'm directing. <laughs> Please just protect me from all of the weird stuff that's happening because, you know, I, for me, that meant I was really able to focus and make it all work. Um, but no, I mean, I don't think there was any sort of sense of you can't do it because you're pregnant or you can't if, if there was it was well hidden <laughs> from me I think there was this thing on the you know the day before the shoot where a very experienced first AD sort of after the I'd sort of explain this is the way we're going to do it this is the way we're going to shoot we're going to just be shooting continuously there's no downtime you all have to invest in this we're, everyone's going to be in character all the time and he, after this chat, he sort of took me to one side and said, you know, the schedule, I, ju I just don't think you're going to get it done. That's what I think. That's my professional opinion. But, um, you know, I I'm not trying to make you feel down by that. It's just that I, I want you to be have a realistic expectation of what's what we can get done. And I was like, okay, you know, thanks for that. I, I, I see where you're coming from, but, you know, I don't. we're not shooting in a conventional way, so I think it'll be fine. And he was like, okay. And then after the first day's shoot, I said, so, you know, how do you feel? And he was like, I'm not worried anymore. You're going to get it you, the way you work. I, now, now I know that it's going to work. That was like the best compliment for me. Like mm. I was like, someone who's really experienced is like, trust me. But they had to see me in action to kind of understand. All oh, right, okay, yes. But also I'm very, I'm very like, you know, when it's your first film and you have, have these limitations, you have to kind of go for what what you've got on your side so okay you haven't got loads of time but you have got that adrenaline that comes from ha only having one take and and everyone being really super invested it's like a bit of theater it's like come on we've got to get it now and that's really exciting and that means you kind of have this en energy on screen i think that people can sort of get a vibe from even the audience are like there's a weird tension to the scenes and stuff so i think that's what you gain from working in that way and I'd rather have that. I mean, you know, I think I might be bored to death if I was on some multi-million dollar thing that was loads and loads of special effects. And, mm. you know, I kind of like to have a little bit of edge to it. I think it's, yeah. It seems you have that rare combo of being logical but also flexible. Mm. Like you have, you, you have a comedy background and all that. And there's a quote you said that I really like. You said, uh, I always believe there's something better than the thing you've planned. Mm. Yeah, I think that's true. Like your script is your plan B and then there's a plan A that's better that hasn't come up yet. And um, and that's how I feel as an actor as well as sometimes I'm like, oh, it's so obvious. Now we're in the location with the actors and we're in costume and we're here. It's so obvious what the funny thing is mm -hmm. to say in this situation or it's so obvious w what this is about suddenly. But you've got to do the script and the script isn't as good as what's right in front of your face and especially if it's making the crew laugh or whatever and you're like what you're not gonna let me say that oh it's such a shame that is exactly the thing that I you know you the audience are thinking in this situation so I kind of um yeah exactly it's like 
planned chaos, really. It's sort of like some bits you're like, we've got to get this because it's a plot point. We've got to get this line. We've got to get this joke. It's quite important. And then there's other bits where you go, right, I've planned that this is going to be loose, this bit now, because mm. it's not a plot bit. To you, that comes easy. Like the way you're describing that, again, it makes sense. But you know this having worked on many different sets. Mm. There's a lot of people who have a plan and the plan is the plan and we're not diverting from it. We're here. I plan this out in my bedroom for four <laughs> years. We're not changing. Yeah. I think the difference is experience on set, mm. really. Um, because, and it's confidence that you gain from that, that experience that you've had. And I think I, I could see why people cling like dear life to their plan, you know. And um, especially if they've not had much experience on set, they've just crafted this script. And I've worked with directors that are like that. You know, they have not had much on set experience and they've got this script. And um, I mean, I, yeah, it's if you can build it, build in spare time to, to get the other thing. So the actor's offering you up something different and people are quite intrigued by it. It's like get that as well you know we we're working with digital now we can the one thing that you have got is is footage you know you can get lots of footage and and i'm a big fan as well of like don't watch playback just get another take mm. and if in doubt just get another take get as much as you can because the edit is where you're going to really fashion the story basically especially on a low budget film i think like you know you you haven't got special effects you haven't got explosions you haven't got this or that all you've got is the edit to kind of change how people feel psychologically when they're watching it. It's like making a 60s or 70s film, I think, much more like that. Well, that's how I approached mm -hmm. making Prevenge anyway. You know, I just I just feel like, just get get it. What, what are you afraid of? Like, it, people sort of go, no, it has to be exactly this. Um, we'll get that and something else as well. Mm. <laughs> and just keep going, just keep pushing. Don't, um, you know, like w when I work with quite, you know, first time directors and they're spending ages lighting their first shot, ages and ages lighting it, composing it. They've had it in their head storyboarded for ages. And you're a bit like, it's not that, it's not that interesting to the audience, this shot. They don't care. They do not care about this <laughs> shot. I mean, performances are really important in a low budget thing you know that to me is like that's the biggest thing it doesn't matter what you're filming on it doesn't really matter the comp the composition as long as you can see their face and they're interesting that's all you want to care about really that that's that's all you need for people to go this person's good because this was interesting and I watched it all the way through but you know having said that to me I had a big epiphany about actually how to make a film when I did sightseers like it dawned on me like Ah, it, this is what making a film is about. It's not, it's not actually about the script as much as people think. It's actually about the kind of textures that you get. It's more like making an album or something than it is, you know, just sitting and writing like the screenplay. Like, there's lots of other elements to making a film that you have to kind of try and realise. And I think that is about just getting on set and getting as much experience of practical filmmaking rather than just sitting in your room with typing the script, basically. Which, you know, you have to have a script, but I think there needs to be more proportional. You need to think about how much time have I spent writing the script in relation to how much time I've spent on set. I need to even that out a bit. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, that's the benefit of being an actress. I'm like, okay, I didn't go to film school, but I have been on set for 
years and years and watch really amazing yeah maybe a bit more than that but I'm trying to pretend that I'm younger than I actually am Uh, (laughs) but you know I've watched amazing directors in action as well so I've been able to like go all right okay that's 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 a good technique you know I like that technique I'll use that gotta remember that filmmaking is more than just a script basically I think have you always been this fearless (laughs) fearless oh my god that's quite a good word um, I don't know. No, I don't think so. I think that it's taken me a long time before I've sort of gone, I'm going to do what I want. And it's been by very small stages I've had to force myself out of my comfort zone. Or, or, or what I feel is for a long time I'd be coming up with ideas and feeling like people around me was bat- were batting the ideas down. And I'd go... Oh, okay, you're right. You know, you know better than me that this is a crazy idea. It won't work. And um, it's taken me until now to go. I don't give a fuck about what people think. I'm just making what I want to make. And really, it took me to be pregnant. I think for that to be be true, because it was a bit like I was a bit like, Do you know what? I don't really give a shit about the film. You know, the baby is more important than the film. But you know, it'd be nice to get a film under my belt. That's a nice opportunity film will probably be shit because I am pregnant and, you know, maybe I don't care about it that much. But weirdly, that was such a liberating thing. It was a bit like, eh, well, you know, and actually that was the thing that liberated me because I was a bit like, I'm not going to rewrite it because I I think it's all right as it is, you know. I'm not going to vastly change the idea. I'm not going to stress over the the lack of perfection of of this. Is the film shit? (laughs) Well, I wouldn't have had a clue, like, until we got into, like, Venice, to be honest. Like, but I think that's true with anything that you make. Like, to you, it becomes so familiar, and it's your ideas anyway, so it feels more obvious to you than it would to other people. So you're like, maybe this is a cliché. And I'm quite often like that. I'm like, well, you know, it's much more stereotypical, this film that I've made. It's much more... Or, you know, this show that I've written is much more um, mainstream. And someone else will read it and go... It's not mainstream at all. What you're talking about is really weird. <laughs> and I'll go, is it? Oh, I thought, I thought this was me kowtowing to, you know, the powers that be. And they're like, no, it's still really peculiar. So, yeah, until we got into Venice, I mean, we, we'd showed it to a test audience, but that was like the first cut, really. And um, that had been really useful. But, you know, yeah, you're sort of like... I don't know, it's so hard. It's like it's like a child. It is a child. It's like you really like it and you feel really <laughs> familiar with it, but why would anyone else like it? You don't, you're you sort of like, are you saying that to be nice? Are you mm-hmm. saying that she's cute and pretty to be nice to me? You're just flattering me. I don't know. I don't really care. Uh, I like her, you know, and that's, that is sort of how I felt about the film, that I was really proud of it. And I knew that, that it, ha- it had had a very relatively pure process in terms of like, as I said, like hardly anyone reading the script no one telling me you can't do this or you can't do that and the same with the edit as well you know it'd been like this very intimate process with just me and the editor and like the execs every now and then going oh do you want to show us anything or like <laughs> you know but there was no pressure at all um so you know I think then when it got into Venice it was like oh have they made a mistake do they really want to show it and then it got into Toronto as well and we were like I started to go oh and even then I was like, oh, they just probably want it because it's like a pregnant woman's story or something. You know, it's like a gimmick or something. I don't know, but it's just snowballed now. And now I sort of accept, yes, people talk about it enough that I'm like, 
okay, you've got something out of it. <laughs> um, yeah, so now I kind of, now it's just terrifying how to make another one because I think you look back on a film that you've made and you go, I don't actually remember how I did that now. It just seems like a fait accompli. I've talked about it so much that I'm just like, oh. <laughs> it's like when you when you do a play as an actor and you, you're doing a run and you, you know your lines, you're really flying with it and you're getting praise from it. And you suddenly have this fear that you cannot imagine the rehearsal process or learning your lines. You can't imagine it. It's just you know what you're doing and the fear of doing another one, a new one. You go, I don't know if I know how to do that now. <laughs> it's really, it's yeah, it's quite a strange feeling. Do you need that external validation? Um, mm, it's not. It is nice. But I do think that I by letting go of the worry about external validation was actually what made it a better piece, weirdly. Um, so it's probably the most honest thing that I've ever made. You know, I'm, I'm not a stand-up, so I don't talk about my life when I do comedy. I play characters. Mm. And I might wear a wig or have an accent or, ha you know, I might be quite significantly different, what I perceive as different. Actually, I'm just kidding myself because it's just a facet of myself, really. Um, but... You know, this is the first time that I've gone, right, th th this is obviously related to my real life. And there were, there is going to have to be a bit more honesty and vulnerability to that. And um, and in a way, it was kind of like, yeah, as I say, it was a bit like, fuck it, you know, just get, what have I got to lose? I'm just going to do it. And um, so, yeah, it, yeah, I mean, it's great when you when you have nice reviews, but at the same time, I think you know in your heart of hearts when you've done good work. You know, like, well, if that's not good enough, then it's, you know, that's fine that if someone didn't like it because I know that I put my blood, sweat into it, tears into it, you know. And uh, and actually, that, that's, that's nice. That's kind of like something that makes it really pure. You kind of go, if someone doesn't like it, that's fine. I think people get really angry when someone doesn't like something, when they know that there's flaws to it, you know? And I, I know the film is flawed. I, I sort of know what the, the flaws are. And so when I read them in a review or something, I'm like, fair enough, actually, yeah. As an aside earlier, you mentioned, uh, I said you'd been working for 15 years, and you're like, well, maybe longer, but I don't want to mention age. <laughs> I, d I detected that, and I, 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 I want to bring that up. Um, because I've heard you talk about this film and its relation to pregnant women feeling invisible, mm. the idea of invisibility. Mm. You're at a point in your career where you're fairly established. I mean, you talk about being a freelancer, but you're fairly established. You've been in a lot of films. You've been in shows. You've now directed your mm. own thing. At the age you are at, mm. which I won't say on the podcast, mm. okay. um, your age and your place in the career... In an industry yeah. that has historically been unfair mm. to women. I think definitely. I mean, I, you know, you're saying you're established, but I'm not established really. I'm not a name. I'm not like, people don't think of me as like, oh, we can launch a TV show off the back of y your name. They don't think that they can launch a film off, the, off my name either because I don't get loads of movie, especially not leads, you know, thrown at me. I'd love that to be the case, but it isn't for whatever reason. I think people think I'm too weird. So I guess the thing is that you know that if you're not established by a certain time, it's highly unlikely that you're going to get there. What's the time? 
I think probably like 30, 35 is the cutoff to become famous. Like, unless you're going to be like an old lady actress, like, and be a dame, like, you know, Judy Dench or something like that. Or, yeah, I think there's a point where you're like, right. And I, do you know what? I don't care about fame. I'm not interested. But you do realise, like, oh, I'm earning the same or less than I was like 10 years ago. It doesn't go up, you know, if you're not famous. It's like this hugely unfair scale that like famous people in inverted commas are paid a huge amount. And then a jobbing actor is paid nothing, like really nothing. And I don't think people really realise that, that if you're in a Star Wars movie, in a speaking role, you'll get like two and a half thousand pounds or something like that. Like... A small role, you know, but still speaking, it, that's it. You don't get any more. Mm. You, that's it. <laughs> the people don't realise that. They're like, oh, my God, you've been in a film. You can retire on that. You're like, no, it's like a hobby. It's yeah. Acting is kind of like a hobby where I get a bit of pocket money and, like, really where... You, yeah, so there's that sort of fear of, like, having a family and stuff. Like, what if the money dries up? What if the roles dry up? What if the... And people don't take that seriously. They go, oh, you're an actress. So we sort of think that means that you're, like, Gwyneth Paltrow. So, like, stop complaining about your glamorous existence or something. You're mm. like... The reality is, like, I'm I'm just like anyone else that's worrying about where you know, I don't want to be made redundant, basically. <laughs> I think Gwyneth Potter also came from serious money. Oh yeah, if yeah. I, if my memory serves me correct. Yes. So I mean, she. I mean, not to I'm, get on a Gwyneth I'm, Paltrow tangent here. No, we don't want to talk too much about Gwyneth Paltrow, but or is it Paltrow? But, but yeah, like you were saying about fear of getting older. I suppose. I suppose my thing is that I like to feel like I'm in control of my own destiny. And a lot of my heroes are like Bowie and Bjork and Kate Bush. And the reason I think I like those musicians is they step outside of mortality or of age. They kind of, you think of them as being so ethereal and transformative. They're almost like aliens or something. And to me, I'm like, that was what attracted me to being an actor is this sort of power of transformation and being able to do whatever you want and be whoever, you know, represent whatever you want. And, you know, women more than even than men at, are very much, you know, no, you can't do that because you're the wrong age, you're the wrong size, you're the wrong this, you're the wrong that, you're the wrong gender, you're not allowed. So, you know, even this film in which I sort of dress in lots of different transformative costumes was about me going, I I don't think, I think that the female power is underestimated. I think women can be whatever they want to be. Mm. They just have to not even have permission they can take the permission themselves you know but yeah I think I think it's this thing I, I had this weird thing where I was I worked with within quite a short space of time I worked with Benedict Cumberbatch and Tom Hardy and I remember just having this weird thing that like oh they're the same age as me but yet the way that they are perceived in their career will be completely different to the way I, I'm perceived I mean, before this film as well, you know. Did you talk to them about that? No, I didn't. I mean, I wouldn't... I don't know them well enough to kind of just beat them over the head of the fact that they're men and they're more successful than me. But I was... I don't know, I just had this uncanny sort of thing of, like, I could see in your eyes that you're... you're you know, we could have a chat and we would have the same references because we're the same age and we're British and we'd have the same kids' shows that we left at when we were kids... But at the same time, their status is so much above mine. And 
I'm not saying that I want it's that I want their fame and their power. It's more that I just think that people look at them and go, "You're James Bond, you're, or you're a right. maverick villain, or you're a hero, or you're a you're like this powerful person that has potential. Like your best roles are to come. You know, you're going to win an Oscar at some point, and that's how people perceive a man of that age. Whereas they look at a woman of that age and go, "Well, your life's kind of over, isn't it?" So. Um, we've cast you as a mother of um, an 18-year-old girl and she's like the kind of trophy for the hero. So we've got a scene of you sort of crying, worrying about her and that's your role. And you're just like, what? <laughs> I want the I want the Tom Hardy role. Why can't I have that Tom Hardy role? Why can't you be in the car? Yeah, exactly. Why can't I be like... This is Locke, by the way, for people give him reference. Y- yeah. No, but I mean, in, I was quite influenced by Locke, actually. Like, um, I think it's brilliant. I think the Stephen Knight is a genius. And I was so fascinated by the process of, of that film. Um, but also just like having a single character and a single narrative. Mm. I was like, oh, I love the cleanness of that, you know. And um, the bit where he has a conversation with his dad in the rearview mirror. Right. I was like, oh, that's such a good device because, you know, when you've got just one character, you're really trying to find a way of, like, expressing that person's inner doubts, you know, without doing a Hamlet-style soliloquy or something like that. You're kind of really going, how do you express what's happening to this person if they're by themselves all the time? I mean, in Taxi Driver, it's a, you know, narration of, of, you know, Travis Bickle talking about how he feels and stuff. And it's a voiceover. And I was like, I don't really want to do that. Um, it feels too... I don't know why I didn't want to do it. Um, and then I was like, oh, hang on. The person that she's talking to and having a confessional moment with should be the baby. And that was like this big penny drop moment that I was like... Because that came relatively late in mm-hmm. terms of developing the script. I was like, who's she talking to? What's her double act? Who's the devil on her shoulder or the angel on her shoulder or whatever? And I was like, oh, it's the baby, of course, you know. So that was quite cool. Uh, yeah, just more roles where women get to be cool, I think. I think that's the thing. It's not even because you get female detectives and you get, like, you do get, like, heroines and stuff, but it's like then they've got to be beautiful or they've got to be thin or they've got to be young. It's not like that they just, with the for- sheer force of their personality, that you're interested in them. Mm. And that's what happens with male actors, I think, that you just go... I don't care who he... I don't care. It's Donald Sutherland. <laughs> he can do whatever he wants, you know? I was thinking it actually... There should be the opposite. I think there should be more uncool. Uncool? Women. Yeah, like... Yeah, see, like nerds. Well, well <laughs> no, here's an example. On Netflix right now, there are like a few shows about dating. There's a okay. show called Love. Mm. There's a show called Master of None. Oh, okay. Yeah, they're, they're, but they're guy focused mostly you know right. love is a little more egalitarian mm. but how come there's not more shows where oh it's just a woman like a single woman in her 20s mm. figuring something out well yeah i mean i've led you up a, the wrong path there because we're saying like i want a woman to be cool i mean obviously the character has to be able to be flawed and have annoying tendencies and all of that stuff or be weak as well if you want to but um but yeah, I mean, I just feel there's a real lack of, yeah, stories about women that aren't about love. You know, I remember when Black Swan came out, I was like, yes, because this is a story 
about a woman struggling with her identity and, and, and having an artistic struggle, basically. And you see that a lot with, you know, male narratives. You have things like a beautiful mind or something or even like um, theory of everything. And usually there's some supportive woman in the background going, let me help you be a genius in some way. I will help you. That movie is especially hard to endure. For <laughs> what, that theory of everything? Yeah. I read the screenplay and it incensed me because... This woman who was his wife, who actually had a PhD, she asks so many questions in the beginning. She's just like, what's a PhD? I mean, literally, she's like, she's supposed to be like the voice of the audience helping the stupid audience to understand all of these complicated physics theories. But really it is ridiculous things like, where's Cambridge? Like, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. And you're like, how are we meant to think that he got together with her when she's so, she must be pretending. That's clever. Maybe she was pretending to be thick so that he would marry her. but um, That's elaborate. <laughs> yeah, that's just, you know, thinking beyond the screenwriters. But that is generally what happens. But also it's a, it's a fact of structuring screenplays. It's like the protagonist is always going to be the person forging ahead and everybody else is going to be the one asking facile questions. So it's just, a, you know, if you've got a male lead, then the, the, the woman is going to become that sort of supporting role, basically. In my head, there's not a shortage of audience mm. that wants those stories. Mm. But I guess the reason I mentioned those, it doesn't have to be about romance, but the reason I mentioned the dating shows is that that seems, you know, Master of None and Love are also not just about falling in love or whatever. Mm. But it's, it's so rarefied. It's so uncommon to have a women-led show. Mm. Like, they literally had to call it girls. <laughs> like, they had to call it girls for them to just have five women beyond. That to me, that to and me is like... And also then people go, well, it's not very representative, is it? They're all white. And you're like, Jesus. oh, yeah, we have called it girls. Like, we've made it deliberately represent, seeming like it's representative of all young women. When Lord. Can you imagine if Seinfeld <laughs> came out now? What would like, they call it? Men plus a woman. <laughs> they would definitely call in like tokenism. And, and, and oh, yeah. The show would not fly. No, possibly not. I mean, I, I do get to the point now where when I see, you know, on British television as well, when I see a sort of still in a newspaper advertising a TV show and it is all white men. It does jar with me now that I'm like, it's not that I'm like, ah, I'm outraged. There might be an element of that, but it's more that I go, God, that looks old fashioned now. It's starting to look really weird. It really does look weird. And um, it looks uninteresting. Yes. You just go, well, what's, are they going to show me anything new that I have seen, not seen before? I don't know. Like, yeah, it's quite weird. Um, I mean, is that a positive sign? Probably. Uh, I, I think there is an appetite for more material about women and I do think like an audience that is quite jaded maybe because we have seen so much you see something that's from a perspective that you're not used to and you're just like wow this is refreshing this has really taken me somewhere else I'm like I've been thrown into a different perspective and I'm surprised at my ability to just identify with someone who is different to me and that was my whole theory with the film that I was like you know if you're going to a TV channel or a, a studio or a film company and they're saying, no, we don't think a female role is commercial, or, you know, lead is commercial. We don't think people can identify with her or she's not likable enough. And I'm like, I think you're underestimating the audience. I think they're completely ready <laughs> for, the, for, you know, those characters, basically. 
and I do I think it might be changing you hope it isn't just a fashion or mm. like a, a sort of yeah a short lived fad you, you hope it's just becoming like normal to have like protagonists I mean you know well you've get, been here the last couple of weeks taking meetings I mean how have they been what, what, what's that <laughs> Well, it's funny because I've been taking my daughter in and um, I sort of, I have no choice really because I can't afford a nanny and my partner works in London full time. So it's like, I'm not taking her in as a gimmick. I'm just going, I'm hoping that you will tolerate this. But I have to say it's quite interesting people's reactions because like if they're freaked out by it, I'm like, oh, well, the reality is I am a director with a kid. So, and I am her primary carer. So that's my reality. So if they can't cope with it, it's like, in a way, like, oh, it might not work out. And if they're brilliant with it and they're amazing about it and really enjoy it and go, oh my God, she's great. I'm like, oh, okay, I want to work with you guys. And um, yeah, there was one company that like bought her some fruit and stuff. And I was like, oh my God, that's so kind that someone's thought of that, you know? And I was like, oh, I really like this company now. She's quite funny. I mean, I also think because she is topically related to the film, she's in the film as well. I can get away with it just about with this film. I think like with the next film, I don't think I can really, I don't know how far I can really push that. Mm. But hopefully, you know, this is why I'm here that I can actually maybe earn some actual money and be able to afford childcare and stuff. Um, that'd be nice <laughs> that'd be nice wouldn't it let's give you some money yeah let's get, well, a, let's get a nanny that's the plan I mean yeah this is the thing in LA the money is so much better for writers than it is in the UK I mean it's kind of the money's getting less and less it's things like BBC Three which used to be a, a you know a broadcast channel and now it's an internet channel which meant the budgets get smaller right. and they're expecting you to make something for nothing. And and people are like, we don't have as powerful unions as well as you have here and people don't really tend to use their unions really. And um, so people don't strike because they're being paid less than they were 10 years ago. They're like, oh, okay, thank you. I got a commission. I got a commission, everyone. I might be able to actually be on television. And and they don't sort of go, I can't live off this money though. If you're expecting sound? me to write this over a few months, I can't live off this. Like... So that's kind of the reality of, of what's happening with TV content and stuff. And I suppose you are taking that gamble. You're going, well, I'm taking the gamble. I'm going to be the next Ricky Gervais or whatever. Um, that's what the risk, that, you know, that's what you're throwing the dice for. Mm. But how many of those are there, you know? You're describing life as a freelancer, which uh, as someone who freelance writes to pay bills, I am under, I understand all this, but it's it's different hearing it from the acting side. Mm. Do you hate it? <laughs> what the acting or just the the asking for work part? Um, I find it really weird because I mean I'm terrible at auditions and I hate them. I actually hate them. If I meet an actor that likes auditions, I think that they're weird because normal actors go, I hate them, I hate them, I hate them. But really. Really successful people like Tom Hiddleston, I think, probably love them. I think that's the key, that if you love auditions, if you love being tested like a kind of show pony, um, then you probably do really well. Because it's sort of about embarrassing yourself. It's like, it's like asking someone out on a date over and over again, and you just don't know if they like you at all. In my 20s, I, I was a bit like why aren't I getting more acting work? I'm a good actress. Why aren't I getting this or that? Or why didn't they see me again for this? And 
sort of too proud proud to ask why or really push for work. I think I think you do have to ask for work. I think that's how you get work, as you say to people, I want to work with you. Um, and that puts you head and shoulders over the other person that was equally as good as you in the audition, but they didn't ask, you know. And um, I'm just not very good at that. I kind of expect people to just know that I that I need work and want work. <laughs> yeah, I think I think too much as an as an actor, possibly. And it's not, it doesn't help you. It's like, I think people would rather work with actors who don't think, in a way. Um, <laughs> you don't think Tom Hiddleston thinks? I don't think he's got much self-awareness, I have to say. I don't, yeah, as I said, I don't think he, I just think he throws himself into things. I don't, this is just what I'm saying from seeing him being interviewed. Um, yeah, I just have a lot of sort of self-loathing and self-doubt when it comes to things like that. I'm like... I don't know. And also, I, I have my own sort of thing that I, you know, I'm sort of self-directing, I suppose, because I'm like, well, this is what I would want to see as, in a performance. And lots of people might not like that, or they might not get it, or they might go, oh, she's not doing anything, or whatever. I also have this theory, this is my other theory, that women often in films are depended upon to be emotional geezers, as in, like, a spurting forth with tears and emotion and that's kind of like your money shot almost it's like porn or something it's like instead of you know your money shot in obvious ways it's like the woman is the person who's going to deliver the tears she's mm -hmm. going to deliver the emotion and the bloke is going to be there stoic you know and and actually in real life people generally hide their emotions i think and and i don't know i think men are sort of permitted to do a lot more subtle performances on screen than women. It's sort of like, no, you need to show us more, roll around a bit and cry and, you know, and it's and I don't really do those sorts of performances. So I think that, you know, I, I you know, I don't really get asked to do that kind of stuff. Is that in part because you're not a terribly emotional person? Um, Cause I every, don't know, maybe. Every, every <laughs> response you've given... This afternoon has been fairly like measured <laughs> and reasonable <laughs> and, and, and very smart and insightful. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe. I guess I'm quite, um, I would say phlegmatic. Is that the word? Phlegmatic. That would be my humor if I was like living in whenever that was medieval times or something. You had to have a humor. Yeah, I'm quite calm and I don't sort of. But then I, you know, I've played roles. I've written roles for myself that are women who have explosive stuff that's pent up inside them. So I kind of think maybe that might be me as well. Maybe I have got stuff that I repress. I don't know. I don't really know. <laughs> I'm sort of tr striving to not be too aware. And I think that's true with directing as well. It's like not too much self-consciousness. It's like it goes back to what we were talking about earlier about people really going, this is my framing of this thing and it's really important because I had the idea and it's really important. And you're like, you shouldn't be thinking in that way about other people seeing the film in a way. It's like, you should be more immersed in it than that. You're like, you should just be thinking about the story and like, yeah, just telling the story. Like not trying to think, how good does this look or something? I don't know. But this is more... This is more about a larger thing you've been discussing, which mm. is about personal sellability. Mm. Like you, you don't like to audition. Mm. You don't trust actors who do like to audition. <laughs> <laughs> oh my but God. You did say that. I'm seeing, seeing 
I must seem like an awful person. No, no, you seem like an above <laughs> average person. I say you're fairly above average. No, but I, there is something about the sellability of this. Mm. You're talking about you don't like to audition and you're on set and you're trying to give a leveled, measured performance that feels r- grounded in realism. Mm, mm. And I guess I'm wondering, in the context of your career, moving forward, is that going to be a problem? Mm, I think it is going to be a problem in a sense because I think it's like, um, you know, the natural step is to go into bigger budget films and I don't want to lose my voice because I kind of think that's all I've got. <laughs> I don't I don't know how to make a really, you know, definitive film about the Second World War or something. I don't I don't really know how to do that. I only know how to tell one person's perspective really. I think it is possible to do that in a big budget film and when, you know, when I'm thinking about Birdman or when when I went to see those films like Birdman or Black Swan or something, I was like, "Ah, now this I think I could make something that had similarities to this like a single person narrative and a very quirky way of representing the story the, the nar- narrative through filmmaking, you know. I could see myself doing that, but um, yeah, I think the thing is like it's how much to see your creative voice as an enemy or 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 a friend, basically, because it is that thing of like, I mean, I I must be quite annoying. I I, I don't have a smartphone, for example, and so my agents are having to deal with that when when they're talking to me. So I don't have Uber and I don't have email on my phone and so my agents are just going you're like a medieval person what's <laughs> wrong with you you know but at the same time I'm sort of going well but that is me so I kind of want you to be able to deal with that and just understand well I only can make these films because of being the person that I am I can't mm. just be a different person and make an interesting film like I don't know how to do that so I think it's always and I think people that are really successful like you know successful film directors it's not that they are, you know, there are loads and loads of talented people in this world, but they are unable to manage their personalities in terms of succeeding within the industries they want to succeed in. So it's like when you do get a Scorsese or something like that, it's because he is, he's got loads of personal charm and business sense as well. I, I mean, he just, you know, it's just like you, you. there's more to it than just being talented. You have to kind of... You've sensed that on some of the sets you've worked on. Mm. I mean, like, what about with Ben, you know, Ben Wheatley or mm. Edgar Wright? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, well, it's the people around you as well. You know, you have your own, you have a production company who will, like, fight to the death for your creativity. I've learned that much, that that's, that's the difference between people that directors that succeed or don't they've got producers behind them like behind every behind every good man is like a good woman or you know whatever I think behind every good director is a good producer that's gone I believe in them I champion what they do I stick with them we've built on a certain working relationship and it's an ongoing process it's not something that just magically happens Mm -hmm. it's something that you build on and um yeah so I've learned that much and but yeah it really is um it is about sort of having to balance like the commercial demands of kind of going, okay, I understand what it is you want from me. You're buying something from me, but how do I smuggle in what creatively satisfies me? <laughs> um, and I do think that is kind of something you have to 
be savvy about. But this is a thing like going and visiting producers or studios or whatever and them sort of going, no, we don't think your idea can fly. I mean, I've had this a lot with TV as well in the UK that people sort of going, your ideas are too dark or too weird or too this. And I'm like, I don't think my ideas, I don't go out of my way to make cult ideas. Mm -hmm. I don't. I make stuff that I think I want to watch and that I think other people might want to watch. I don't go, I'm going to make something so obscure that hardly anyone's going to see it. <laughs> I want everyone to watch what I'm doing, you know. I want, I want people to watch it. And uh, I'm not, I don't want anyone to be excluded. I'm not, like, making content. This is another thing I have in these meetings. We're really interested in content for women, about women, by women, for women. And I'm like, I'm not really interested in that. Uh, to be <laughs> honest, I'm really not interested in that. Not because I don't like women, but just because I'm like... That's against like art in my mind. It's like it's for human consumption. It's to enhance your consciousness and your world and your empathy. It's like, how does that help if you're going? No, it's just for women. Right. Like I just don't. I just don't agree with it. So as soon as someone says that to me, I'm like, no, no. I hope you do keep figuring out how to smuggle your ideas in. <laughs> to use your term. I, I, I yeah. I think there's. I think there's a lot. There's a lot more ahead for you I hope so I think I'm very perverse though I'm very um, as soon as I get a really uh, good opportunity I get kind of a bit scared I get a bit like oh, can I do it can I do it and like I sort of so it's about really keeping my nerve with this I'm like okay I might have a chance to do some more stuff okay don't screw it up <laughs> and it is so easy to screw that up you know um but you know, I yeah, I want to. What I want to do is like really protect my creative voice because I feel like I haven't listened to my intuition in the past, and I've made bad work. Mm -hmm. It's not bad work, but it's just not what I intended it to be. Um, and I feel like you know that's the lesson that I'm trying to learn is like, don't kowtow too quickly to when people give you notes. Like this is what I learned from Ben actually that he very much. I've watched him in action. <laughs> Uh, I've watched him in action like with commissioners and stuff like that and he uh, they'll say we didn't get this bit and he'll like well it's obvious it's this and they go oh oh okay yes of course it is yes he's like did you not see that bit on page 17 and they're like oh yes of course yes of course it is this <laughs> and that's how he bats it away like most people would go uh, sorry, oh no, does that not come across? Oh God, well, yeah, we'll have to do some work on that. That's obviously not working. Okay. He just goes, you're stupid if you don't understand that bit. <laughs> <laughs> not always, but I have seen him do that. And I was like, wow, that's amazing because we're trained to sort of think these are the people giving us money, therefore right. you have to li agree with what they say, you have to listen to what they say. And he just goes, no, they, they're, they're trying to get you to change it because they think that's their job is to get you to change it. They, that's their job. They have to prove themselves, you know, that you, that you you know, there's a reason they're there. So they're trying to get you to change it without really it being necessary. So you, you just defend what you really, really want to defend and they'll go, they'll back down. <laughs> and I was like, I've never, I mean, that's never occurred to me before that you just have to tell them that they're wrong. <laughs> That's good. And, uh, and I was like, I think I need to start doing that a bit more because I very easily go, oh, do you not like that? Okay. Um, and with this film, I just didn't ever have to do that. It was like no one ever questioned any bits of it at all. So I was just like, oh, I'm really surprised. That scene really worked. I like that scene as well. Yeah, that joke worked as well. Ah. So there would have easily been someone telling me that wasn't going to work. 
Um, Tell them they're wrong when they're wrong. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I'm trying to do a bit more. But I do. I'm, it doesn't come naturally to me to be like that. It's like, uh, but I'm, I've, I'm trying to learn. <laughs> well, I'm sure you'll figure it out. <laughs> Thank you for coming on, Alice. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed it. You've been like my shrink. Have I? Yes. <laughs> That's good. I don't have a shrink, but you you are now my shrink. I'm for hire, so yeah. <laughs> I'm very I'm a freelancer, so. <laughs> well, uh, there you go. It's a new calling. Mm. No, it's um yeah, because it's like the end of my stay, so I'm like I am reassessing loads of things. Like for me, this is the film's coming to an end properly now because it's coming out in America, and that's it. Kind of like I'm on to the next project, and it is kind of like oh my god. I've got to like reassess everything about what I'm doing next. <laughs> well, uh, same time next week. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> so long. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>
Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.